Hey, Crime Salad listeners, welcome back to another episode of Crime Salad. My name is Ashley. And I'm Ricky. We are so glad you can make it because we are about to dive into the darkest corners of human nature. Now, please brace yourself because this story is hard to listen to, but I feel so drawn to it. And I have this need to share it on the podcast because I grew up in the same area where this all happened. So it's very near and dear to my heart. I came across this story by someone who shared it with me that I know personally. Now, this may not be a very lengthy episode, but it's a big one, especially to the family this affected. This week's story involves a child who was murdered in a horrific way. Because of the nature of this crime, please be advised, especially if you have young ears listening, that the details surrounding this case are graphic and disturbing. So this devastating nightmare happened in June of 2023. This would be last summer from the recording of this episode. So this case is very recent. And actually, it was just announced by Pennsylvania's Attorney General on July 11th, 2024, specifying that a Lawrence County woman has been arrested on charges related to the abuse and death of her boyfriend's one-year-old daughter. Let that sink in. That was seven months until there was an arrest. And I know that there was a lot that needed to be done to make an arrest and that the police worked diligently and this case was thoroughly investigated so that no errors could be made. However, I just can't imagine the feeling of helplessness during that time, left without their baby girl, left without answers, waiting for an arrest for seven months. This story takes us to Newcastle, Pennsylvania. The town of Newcastle is a smaller town about an hour drive from the city of Pittsburgh. Baby Iris Rita Alfera was born December 2nd, 2021, and had an amazing life surrounded by so much love. Her mom, Emily Alfera, was an amazing mom who wanted the absolute best life for her daughter. She would often have matching outfits like matching swimming suits and matching tank tops, literally so cute. And Emily, the mother's Facebook feed, was filled with photos of her and her little girl. In a post on Mother's Day, May 14th, 2023, read, The greatest gift I could ever ask for is your smiling little face. I love you so much, Iris Rita. You make me so proud to be your mommy. Happy Mother's Day. Then the following month, June 30th, a post read, I have no words for what has currently happened to my beautiful angel baby. Never in my life I thought I would be saying goodbye to the biggest light of my life. Iris was 18 months old, so a year and six months. 
She was a very smart, clever little girl who was on the move walking and learning so much each day and enjoyed watching Miss Rachel. I know our little one loves Miss Rachel. She was hitting all the milestones and even picked up some sign language. She was on her way to two years old in just a short six months. Time really does fly by. But she would never get to see her second birthday because her life was taken too soon. How could anyone want this little precious baby girl dead? You see, this wasn't just an act out of anger. This wasn't an accident. This was a planned murder. This was thought out, and it was played out with evil and extreme jealousy. Iris suffered a death no child should ever have to experience. And what makes me sick about this one is that she tried multiple times to take her life. Like you said, this wasn't you know a reaction or, or something like that. This was literally a plan, and she kept trying until she was successful. It's messed up. And I know it's hard to talk about child abuse cases, and it's hard to listen to these types of cases. But this is a huge issue where time and time again, it keeps happening. If you know of child abuse happening in your circle of who you associate with or have a suspicion, there are helplines like the Child Help National Child Abuse Hotline where you can call or text 1-800-4-A-CHILD. There's professional crisis counselors who are available 24 hours a day and seven days a week and in multiple languages. All calls are confidential, and the hotline offers crisis intervention, information, and referrals to thousands of emergency, social service, and support resources. I feel like it's all too common that child abuse becomes so untouchable, like It's that subject where no one feels comfortable talking about it. We pretend like it's not happening. And it's often a topic where others don't want to get involved. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. I mean, we've had encounters at the mall and things where I just said, hey, it's not our business. After covering cases like this, it it makes me rethink that completely. Yeah, because the abuser is getting away with it. It's like they know that they can get away with it because no one's going to say anything. Right. And, you know, that one time that you could reach out or whatever, even if you're wrong, like, what if you're right? I mean, you could have possibly saved that child. Yeah. And that's why I love that number, because it's confidential. 100%. You can just call and say, hey, I'm suspecting something. What should I do? You could be that child's help. You could save their life. Yeah. So... There were some warning signs, and those warning signs were reported properly. However, where things fell apart in protecting this child, the family members believe that CYS, or Children and Youth Services, dropped the ball. Because these warning signs were reported, they were investigated, but there was some kind of disconnect in our system, which is so extremely infuriating. And that's what makes this case so frustrating. And if you really think about it, if you were a parent or a family member of this little girl, at what lengths would you go to to demand that this never happen again? And that's where this family is at. Emily Alfara and her family are looking for justice and change. Hey, Crime Sound listeners, we're taking a quick moment here to tell you about Housewives of True Crime. It's a true crime podcast on the lighter side. 
Each Monday, Gretchen Tab tell a case that is twisty and turny and everything you want to hear in a true crime story, but they leave out all the gore and scary stuff. They try to keep it on what they call crime light so you can sleep at night. Tab and Gretch are legit best friends for over 20 years, so the rapport is top notch. They have seven minutes of small talk that you will actually enjoy, and all of their cases are very well-researched. Each week, one host will take a turn at telling the story while the other asks questions that you, the listener, are most likely thinking. They are funny and sarcastic while always being respectful. So if you're looking for a new true crime podcast to fill up your week, Housewives of True Crime is available anywhere you get your podcasts. Emily Alfera and Bailey Jacoby are the parents of Iris. Just to clarify, we may sometimes refer to Bailey Jacoby as just Jacoby throughout this episode. And at the time, they were operating in a co-parenting style. Iris stayed with her mom, Emily, most of the time, but her dad got to see her every Wednesday night and every other weekend. This all started when Iris was about 13 months old. And together, they gave Iris the essentials that she needed and the love and care that she needed. They were known as amazing co-parents. According to Emily's mom, who spoke on Nancy Grace, they would share custody and were flexible with their visits. So if Jacoby wanted to see his daughter an extra day, Emily would be fine with it. This lifestyle seemed to work well for everyone, and Iris was thriving in her environment, surrounded by many people who loved her, grandparents, aunts and uncles, cousins. She was the light of everyone's life. However, there was an evil jealousy that lurked in the shadows at Jacoby's house. Iris's father was dating Alicia Owens, who is the monster of this story. And she couldn't stand not getting 100% of the attention. The little girl was a roadblock for her that sat in between her and Jacoby. The constant communication between him and Iris's mom was brewing inside her. And so what better way to be the only girl in Jacoby's life than to eliminate the roadblock? It's awful. So this all started when Emily picked up Iris from her dad's house and noticed during a diaper change that she passed three water beads. You know, like those little absorbent orbs, I think they're called. Yeah, like Orbeez. Orbeez. Yeah, they were on a lot of like YouTube channels where they would fill up like a little swimming pool of them. And- oh, yeah. Us parents, we hear about the dangers of these beads if they get swallowed. And Emily, she worried for her daughter and immediately got her to the hospital. Iris would stay at the hospital for four days. And during her time there, she passed about 20 water beads, three button batteries, and a metal screw. Yeah, it's a weird mix of things to have in your belly. Honestly, what would you be thinking at that time? It's alarming, but kids also eat a lot of stuff. You know, they put everything in their mouth. That's true. But I definitely would be like, okay, we need to make sure everything is off the floor and out of reach. Right. This would be a very scary situation because she swallowed a screw. What if it punctures something? Yeah. She swallowed those batteries. Button batteries are extremely dangerous. Mm Mm-hmm. So the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, they have a video that I came across where they share the dangers of the battery becoming lodged in the throat, causing severe burns and even burns in the stomach. So 
Luckily, she passed everything without any complications. And just a little side note, these batteries are found in our children's toys. They're in our remotes. A child has access to them. But what are the chances of a child accidentally swallowing 20 or so water beads, three button batteries, and a screw all in one sitting, all in one visit at the dad's house? After the intense, scary, traumatic hospital visit of four days, it appeared that everything she had swallowed had cleared and there was no damage. Emily was able to take her baby home. Super scary situation. No parent would ever want to see their child in that kind of dangerous situation. Because of the suspicions that the doctors had, they reported this incident, providing information they were given that Iris was at the father's house. And so CYS, Children and Youth Services, as it's called in Pennsylvania, were given the report. They were advised that on Wednesday night, Iris was with her father. And so they inspected both Emily and Jacoby's house, and they didn't find any issues with either house. So with this inspection, I'm really curious what exactly they look for. Like, how deep do they go into this inspection? Is it just like a few boxes they check? How long do they stay there? Because to me, it sounds like they just kind of walked in, walked back out. Right. I mean, obviously, they're they're making sure there's no like batteries on the floor, obvious red flags. But what type of things do they look for other than the obvious? So I was curious and I looked up a few things that CYS checks for when doing an inspection. And these are all general things. It does vary depending upon the situation. They check for the safety of the environment. This would be the living condition. Is the living condition safe? They look for potential hazards, cleanliness. They also check for the child's medical care, their nutritional status, and general physical care. They also check if the kids are getting along with each other in the home and that they have people to talk to if they need help. Was this girlfriend just completely faking this awesome personality like she was so nurturing and supportive? That makes me question that. What did they put in their notes? It's not made public, but I'm curious. Yeah. And if they're at school age, they check to see if their educational needs are being met. They also make sure that there's safety in the home like smoke detectors and things like that. And they also do background checks. So any adults living in the home have to do background checks. And like I said, this is generally what they're looking for. And it all depends on the specific situation and the reason for the inspection of the visit. For instance, a routine inspection of a foster home might focus more on the living conditions, while the inspection in response to a specific complaint like this might focus on checking for dangerous things, batteries, chemicals. Can this child get into things easily? Are there locks on the cabinets? Right. After this inspection, they didn't find any issue with Emily's house or with Bailey Jacoby's house, the father. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So Newsweek, they spoke with the family, and the family stated that if Emily did not continue the visitation, she would be held in contempt of court and may lose custody of Iris. So she's forced to just let her child go into this unsafe home. Yeah. Even though they say it's safe. Yeah. And as you can imagine, the anger surrounding this whole situation, I would be extremely angry. And there's nothing you could do about it. Yeah, I mean, you're helpless in this situation. You don't want to lose custody of your child. Yeah, no way. The anger surrounding our justice system at this time was at an all-time high. It was expressed that the investigation consisted of a clipboard and checking off a few boxes, and they left. So this innocent, vulnerable, helpless little girl was just a name on a clipboard and just a box to check. Can you imagine that as a parent? You're faced with flashing warning signs You were doing all of the right things, and now you're left paralyzed. This little girl was now given back to an abuser, and because of the decisions made by CYS, she's no longer with the family. We look at our justice system for the protection of our kids, and when this happens, it makes you think, what protection do kids really have? Right, and as the mom, I mean, she's expecting, okay, the police are involved now. They're going to find something. They're going to make this right. Or maybe it was just an accident, but like, oh my gosh, I don't think I'd be able to sleep at night. Like, poor Emily. She had to hand over her kid and... Yeah, it's awful. Now, before this incident even happened, Alicia Owens kept an interesting search history on her phone, which becomes useful later in this case but it really just irritates the hell out of you because she conducted these searches like, in how many cases have kids died from eating water beads? Water beads harmful, water beads near me, and beauty products that are poisonous to kids. Symptoms of swallowing a battery. What happens if a baby swallows a battery? And moms warn parents dangers of water beads. What messes me up here is water beads near me. Like, I'm going to research how dangerous these things are, but then what's the closest location I can go pick them up? Sick. So messed up. Now, they didn't find this stuff until the investigation, though, correct? Yeah. And can you guess when these searches were done? Just take a wild guess. I mean, recent, for sure. One month before this incident even happened. So one month before Iris went to the hospital for four days. Yeah. She had been planning this. She had been searching. It just makes me like so sick to my stomach. I mean, maybe you would search those things after you found out, oh, there's water beads in her stomach, their batteries. Like, what are the consequences? Like, what do I do? What, what do I should do? I do? But this was so preemptive. Yeah. The only one thing that gets me is the water beads near me. That's like, oh my. I need to go buy these after I searched how dangerous they are. It's nuts. This was all planned out, and her searches continued. One search was, if your child drinks a lot of nail polish remover, what happens? What happens if a baby eats nail polish? How many cases has there been of babies dying from eating nail polish? So if someone knew about these searches, 
CYS most likely wouldn't have let Iris back into that house. But it's a privacy thing, I guess, to look at someone's phone without, you know, any other reason to. You probably need like a warrant. Yeah, you would need a warrant. Something like that, probable cause. I would be fighting that. I want everything to be looked at, you know, and I'm sure that's how Emily felt too, but there's only so much you can do. But it just makes you think, is there just like trash all around the house? You know, I'm surprised that they didn't even do a supervised visitation because them doing this inspection does not give them enough time to see how the relationship is between the dad or the girlfriend. How long are they really in there for? Are they in there for like 30 minutes, an hour? Mm -hmm. Are they just asking questions and leave? You're not even getting anything out of that. You're getting, do you have a relationship with her? Yes. Okay. On paper, it looks good. But in reality, how is their relationship? Yeah. Behind closed doors. We don't know. That's the thing is if you're looking at this at a surface level or on paper, you're saying, okay, well, she swallowed some Orbeez. I mean, those are a kid's toy. Maybe they were left behind. She got into them. Three batteries is a little crazy, but it's possible still kind of possible. So I think like that's the case. On paper, when you look at this, it's like, all right, you guys need to clean up after yourself or make sure the living conditions are better. And then when they checked it out, you know, it could have been one of those things like, hey, we learned our lesson and things are better now. It's really hard to say just from this one incident, they should have tore through their phone and ripped apart all of their privacy to figure out what's going on. Because I mean, this stuff happens. You probably see this type of stuff at a hospital daily, often. Good point. Because Bailey Jacoby has court-ordered custody, it's no mystery as to what happens next. The scheduled visit for Iris was on the weekend of June 25th. And on that day, Jacoby leaves Iris in Alicia's care to run to the grocery store. Now, she's a nurse in training. We'll just throw that out there. And Alicia calls Jacoby saying something is wrong with Iris. She's all cramped up and fell off the bed. It was noted later on that the mattress was only six inches off the floor. So only being six inches, we could assume that it wasn't injuries from the fall, right? Seems unlikely. So at this point, the baby is unresponsive, and the first thing she does is call up Jacoby, not sure of what to do. She said she began doing chest compressions because the baby wasn't breathing. And at some point, the police were called. Iris Rita Alfera was life-flighted to UPMC Children's Hospital in Pittsburgh. Iris was in critical condition when the doctors in the Child Advocacy Center reported subdural hematoma, which is a brain bleed and bilateral retinal hemorrhages, so retinal hemorrhages in both eyes, and high levels of acetone in her blood, and her body was in organ failure. This 18-month-old little baby girl. At the time of these findings, doctors' records report that injuries happened while Iris was at the father's house under custody of Bailey Jacoby and Alicia Owens. And another physician indicated that because of the nature and severity of the state that baby Iris was in, anyone who would be caring for this child would have noticed something was wrong. 
He stated that her cognition and function would have been altered immediately after the event that caused the injuries. However, both Alicia and Jacoby reported to the police that she seemed normal. She vomited a few times, but nothing out of the ordinary. Which had to have been a lie. It seems strange, doesn't it? Now, not only was baby Iris poisoned with a high amount of acetone, with the traumatic brain injury, her injuries paint a picture that this 18-month-old baby was viciously slammed into something solid like the floor or the wall or the table and aggressively shaken. The baby had a brain bleed that could be compared to someone being in a car accident, hitting their head into the windshield and she suffered organ failure from the acetone poisoning. Iris died at 1.52 p.m., June 29th, at the UPMC Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh, four days after the incident. And the doctors strongly suspected that this was the result of child abuse. So the father and Alicia were both taken in for questioning. This is where Alicia explains that they never let Iris out of their sight, and they were very diligent with her care even making sure the bathroom cabinets were locked. So how'd she get the acetone? Police requested her cell phone and she turned it over. And that's when they found all of the telling searches on Alicia's phone. This was no accident. This was a planned out murder to take baby Iris and her mom out of this guy's life forever, out of the picture. So I'm not sure if Jacoby's going to be charged or not. I'm, I'm hoping so. But that makes me think that they both were in on it. The fact that they didn't notice anything was wrong with the baby. They went with the same story. It's just kind of suspicious. Yeah, I would say that they're still looking into him because they haven't made a decision yet. I hope he doesn't get off the hook because he should have been there protecting his daughter. Yeah, he should have. But as for Alicia, she is charged with criminal homicide, aggravated assault of a child less than six years of age, endangering the welfare of children, and aggravated assault of a child less than 13 years of age, and faces a life sentence. So what do we do from here? Loved ones are now urging for more stringent visitation laws and for cases to be reviewed more thoroughly by Lawrence County Children and Youth Services. The family has faith and hope that baby Iris's story makes these changes and protects future children. Now, I found a few things to check out that we will put in our description. It looks like from the recording of this episode, the change.org Justice for Iris Rita has 2,075 signatures and their goal is 2,500 signatures. And there's also a Facebook group that Iris's aunt runs. It's titled Iris's Angels. They are currently working on a website, and Emily, Iris's mom, has many plans for the nonprofit. They are starting a 5K this summer, and they plan to have scholarships in her name. And they hope to create Iris's closet to be put in nurses' offices at the schools. And these would supply toiletries and necessities for less fortunate children. Their hope is to raise awareness for child abuse and change the laws for visitation. Emily wants to honor her precious Iris by bringing love and happiness to many, many children. You can donate to her nonprofit, 
I will also put the link in the description. So far, they have raised $17,766 and hope to reach the goal of $20,000. In the notes, it says that this will go towards helping change visitation laws and educate against child abuse. This story is such a horrible tragedy and so close to home. So it's so near and dear to our hearts. And we are praying for the family and we hope that baby Iris gets the justice that she so much deserves in a timely manner. We would like to take a moment to thank you as a listener and a supporter. We couldn't have continued the show without you. We have received so many kind reviews. We appreciate you taking the time to type up something nice. Also, a few announcements. One, we now have merch. So be sure to check out crimesalad.shop to get you some crime salad gear. And for our last announcement, Ricky? We're going to CrimeCon. Nashville 2024. We have been invited to CrimeCon. This is our first time we've ever been there that we've ever been considered actually. Plus Tennessee, I mean, that's somewhere I've always wanted to go. Tennessee whiskey. If you would like to join us, the dates are May 31st through June 2nd, and you can get your tickets at crimecon.com. Be sure to use the promo code CRIMESALAD. You can save 10%. And the hotel that it's at is literally gorgeous. It's really, really cool. Yeah, there's koi fish. And oh, koi fish. They have like multiple little pond areas and a waterfall. Basically, it's this huge mall looking lobby in the middle of the hotel. So oh, it's God. really cool. I hope I don't fall in like Michael Scott. It's going to be a lot of true crime fun. And we really want to see you there. So check out crimecon.com and get your tickets. Also on our merch shop, crimesalad.shop, you can get yourself an official Crime Salad Crime Con shirt, and we will be rocking those. So let's hang out, have a good time. I know Ricky, he's already bought a large belt buckle and a cowboy hat. Mm-hmm. So come come see Ricky the Cowboy at Crime Con. I'm probably going to have a big dip in. <laughs> Living the Nashville life. Boot scootin' boogie. But come see us on Podcast Row. Woo! Woo! On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.